The second scripture reading for this evening is going to be taken from Galatians 6, verses 6 through 10. It's on page 1251 in your pew Bibles, if you'd like to follow along. Galatians 6, 6 through 10, page 1251. Anyone who receives instruction in the Word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. We've been preaching through the book of Galatians on Sunday evenings for about four months now. This morning we began a brief series of sermons on stewardship, and these two texts just happen to fit together. For there is a principle that is woven so surely and evidently into the fabric of reality that ought to be evident to all of us, and that is the principle of sowing and reaping. Whatever a man sows, that is what he's going to reap. It is most evident to us in the physical realm, in the science of agriculture, we know that when we sow the seed, while the amount of the harvest may depend on a number of factors, the nature of the harvest is already determined. Whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. This is true in the spiritual realm. It is not quite so evident. Amazing that some people plod on through life, oblivious to the fact that God has built principles into the fabric of things. They live their lives running against the flow of God's principles and have difficulty understanding all of the problems that they have. This is not to say that there is not physical illness and sickness that are part of human nature and not accidents and other things that are part of the kind of world in which we live. But beyond all of that, frustrations and difficulties because we are sowing one thing and reaping it and unaware of the principles that God has built into the nature of things. Because God has made us to be those who possess a free will, we can sow what we want but we cannot reap what we want. What we reap has already been determined by divine principle. I can't choose that. I can choose what I sow, but I'm going to reap what I sow. Now Paul says in the text tonight, let no man be deceived. God is not mocked. God's principle will not be moved. We can make fun of God. We can suppose that we'll sow what we will and live it up. But ultimately, the harvest is going to be what we sow. And what God has built into the nature of things is not going to be offended. You can ignore God's principle, but you cannot break it. Now, the context of this statement of Paul's needs to be clear in our minds. He is not talking about just any kind of sowing, though it applies to all kinds. But Paul is talking about 
the kind of sowing that relates to the source of our life. Now, in chapters 5 and 6, in this letter about liberty, Paul is warning us that though Christ gives us liberty by forgiving our sin and sending his nature to live within us so that our life can flow from the inside out and not be motivated by rules and regulations, but flow out of an inner desire that is born out of the indwelling life of the Holy Spirit. Though that is true, he said, I must not be unaware that my old nature still lives. And what I think may be liberty may end up to be only looseness and may allow my old nature to once again usurp the reins of my life and have my life flow out of selfishness rather than out of Christ. And it's in this respect that he's saying, whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. If he lives out his life sowing everything out of his flesh, he will of the flesh reap corruption. It's going to pass away. Whatever you do, even though you're a Christian, whatever you do that is done out of the motivation of fleshliness is flowing out of the spring of your old nature is going to die. It's going to corrupt. It's going to stink, ultimately. And whatever is done out of the Spirit, whatever is motivated out of my inner obedience to the Spirit of God and out of a Spirit-filled life is going to last forever. That's what he's stating here. Let no man be deceived. God is not mocked. You can sow however you like. But what you reap has already been determined. To sow out of the, out of the flesh is to reap corruption, the so are the Spirit is to reap life everlasting. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul is making a very similar statement, uh, maybe in a more familiar context to us. 1 Corinthians 3, beginning with verse 10. In the beginning of the chapter, he has chastised them a bit verbally because of their carnal way of living. He said, I, I have tried to speak to you about spiritual things, and it's very difficult because you're not tuned in. I want to give you meat, but you can't take solid food because of your carnality. You're arguing about whether you're Paul or Apollos. There are divisions and strifes. There's the kind of bickering that is born out of fleshliness, and therefore you're not able to take it. And then in verse 10 he says, by the grace God has given me, I laid the foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it, but everyone should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because a day will bring it to light. It will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flame. What is gold and silver and precious stones? I think this relates to Paul's text here. It is that work, that labor, that response to life that is born out of the Spirit, motivated by God's Spirit. And what is wood, hay, and stubble? It is that which is born out of fleshliness. And when the fire comes, when the day of judgment comes, and I think that relates not only to this life, but also at the judgment day, then that which is of the flesh is going to be destroyed. And we will be saved 
so as by far. And let's remember that this is not talking about our salvation. Our salvation is by grace in Christ. But our works, now what we do, our ministry, our serving of God and serving of people is either being sown from the flesh or it's being sown from the Spirit. And it's going to either reap corruption or it's going to reap everlasting reward. Now, I think that Paul, in the context here, speaks of three applications of this principle. And I'm, I'm not sure I'm uh, looking at it exactly the way he did. But in verse 6, and in verse 9, and in verse 10, I think he's speaking of three different applications of this principle, three ways in which we are sowing of ourselves and are ultimately going to reap. In verse 6, he says, Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. And I think this speaks of our sowing being adequate, being large enough, being generous enough. Now, the, the uh, allusion here is to our response to those who serve us. Jesus said that in the kingdom of God, the greatest among us is the servant of all. He calls all of us to serve one another. If someone is serving me, whether it's a Sunday school teacher or a class leader or an elder or a deacon, someone who is spending of their life for me, then Paul is saying, I need to respond back with adequate things of the good things that they have need of. In those days, of course, the, uh, in the Jewish context, the rabbi was a, was a teacher who gathered students around him and, and who was supported by those students. This seemed to carry over into the early church, and those who were the teachers were looked upon to be supported by those who received the teaching. This was done on many levels in the church. I think the principle applies on every level. And the, the, the uh, issue here is, if I sow sparingly, I'm going to reap sparingly. If I give out of the flesh grudgingly, what I give and my ministry and the fruit of it is going to be touched by that. The amount we give the generosity of it, the measure of it, is a very important part of sowing. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says that he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows generously will also reap generously. Each man, this is beginning with verse 6 in uh, 2 Corinthians 9, each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly, under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now we saw in the Old Testament this morning, that one of the things that our tithe is used for and our giving is used for is not only worship, but also in that day the support of the priest and the Levites who were the servants in God's household. And uh, this has many applications in the New Testament church, for all of us have ways in which we are helping financially other people to serve, whether it's missionary work or uh, some other kind of ministry. And uh, the, uh, the application of this is are we sowing in the flesh or are we sowing in the spirit? Are we giving out of necessity in a grudging, tight-handed way? If so, we're going to reap the same way. And more than that, our investment in it is going to corrupt. 
If we sow in the Spirit, out of God's fullness, it's going to bear fruit now and for eternity. The second application he makes is in verse 9. And let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we shall reap a harvest if we do not give up. And I think this speaks to the issue of patience in the harvest. That is, God calls us to sow out of our lives, and part of the discipline of that is waiting. The gardeners who are here tonight uh, understand what it means to plant the seeds and to keep waiting. And sometimes along the line you get discouraged whether this thing's ever going to grow or not, or whether anything is going to bloom on it. We, uh, we planted tomatoes behind our garage. We've never been much into gardening. We've uh, had just about perfect success along the years, the perfect degree of success. It's uh, usually ended up in a weed bed and uh, very little fruit. But we, we tried this year, and we planted tomato plants behind our garage. And our neighbor came over and said, uh, you're wasting your time because you don't get enough sun there, and you won't get any tomatoes. Which kind of made me want to do it all the more. And so we, uh, we did. He, he, he's a dear fellow, but he, he loves to, uh, to tell me all the things I'm doing wrong, which gives him plenty to do. And, uh, well, it turns out that, uh, these plants were there, you know, along about July. I'm beginning to wonder. I think he's right. I don't think anything's going to happen. They're, they're the shortest plants in the whole neighborhood. They look like dwarfs and, uh, you know, the weeds are coming up, and you're wondering, well, maybe I just ought to let it go. We, you know, we're losers again. It's gonna, our record is going to be unblemished. But we kept at it, and it, you know, it turns out that finally, late, now we're getting a, a bumper harvest, more tomatoes than we've ever grown in our lives, and we feel very good about that. Now, the, the application in, in our spiritual life is the very same way. God calls us to sow from the Spirit. And he says, if you sow from the Spirit, if, if the giving of your service is motivated by God inwardly, if it's given not out of selfishness, but out of God's movement in your life, and you wait long enough, if you're patient, if you keep at it, you're going to gain a harvest. There are lots of different kinds of ministry that uh, where this is especially applicable, and I think one of those areas is in youth work. Uh, one of the challenging and exciting ministries in every church is to work with young people. And uh, the kind of people who are good at that are the people who can take the long look, because young people aren't finished yet, as none of us are. And often the great fruitfulness we see in the ministry investing in young people we don't see for a long time yet. Every once in a while, someone in the congregation will come to me and say, guess what? This week I met somebody that used to be in my class 20 years ago, and I never thought I ever did a bit of good. And they're walking with God, and they've come back and thanked me profusely. We're reaping the harvest that we sowed. Many folk find the testing of their life investment comes when the expected harvest seems to tarry. 
And it's then when we begin to discover whether or not our sowing is being motivated by the flesh or by the Spirit. The people that want a quick harvest, instant results, something that builds their ego, glorifies their name, are going to drop out pretty quick when the harvest is slow. But when we sow from the Spirit, he says, if we are faithful in doing good and do not become weary at the proper time, the harvest will come. This speaks to the issue of patience and endurance in the harvest field. And the third one is in verse 10, which I think speaks of the extent of our sowing. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those of the household of faith. It's got to be adequate in its amount. It's got to be patient in its endurance. And it's got to be broad enough to honor God in our sowing. The flesh wants to sow only to a few. The scope of fleshly ministry is always small. But the breadth of God's ministry is large. While he says our obligation as a believer is to minister to the house of God, uh, it's got to go beyond that. And as we pro- approach our missionary conference, I hope that God is uh, going to be touching our hearts and, and causing the uh, blinders to fall off of us and be able to see as widely and deeply and as far as he sees and to enlarge our hearts to be able to invest ourselves and our gifts so that his work may go on. And also that as a congregation, while uh, a large part of our ministry and our investment is in the lives of one another, to build one another, encourage one another in the faith, that God will make our eyes and our vision large enough to see that the church is the one institution in the world that is created to serve people that don't belong to it. The whole idea of the church in the world is for the blessing of people that are not in it. Because God wants to be glorified in his love being shed abroad through the believers into the whole world. As you think about how God wants you to spend your life, how he wants you to invest it, here is a principle that needs to be Uh, in the forefront of our planning. God wants me to sow and give, but if that giving and sowing and service is motivated only out of my fleshliness, if I'm doing it because I need it, if I'm doing it because I'm bored and need involvement, if I'm doing it because my ego is down and I want it to be built, if I'm doing it because I have a need for power and I can get control and run this thing, if I'm doing it for any of the natural reasons that belong to the flesh, it is going to corrupt. And whatever results seem to come from it are going to be lost when the fire comes. If God calls me to invest my life and to serve, he calls me to invest it out of a life that's filled with God's Spirit. That gives because God gives and I desire to be like him. That's able to give of myself because I've given it to God, and if I see no return for me, 
I've lost nothing because it belongs to God. That, those are difficult things. And uh, to live among saints are things that, that uh, cause that issue to come to us often. We make big investments in God's people. And sometimes we don't see any return at the moment. And sometimes not the appreciation that we think we ought to have. And if we've done it for ourselves, it becomes a very difficult thing to handle. If we've done it as unto the Lord and it's done because he motivates us to love because he's love, then whether we see the return, we grow not weary in well-doing because if we faint not, the harvest is going to come. The harvest is not at the end of the year. It's not at the end of the service. It's not at the end of the program. It's not at the end of the contest. It's not at the end of the plan the church has. It's at the end of the age. And if we are not weary in well-doing, we'll reap in that day. And I suppose there'll be lots of surprises when that day comes. And much of which the world has looked upon as religious success may well be wiped away in the fire because it was born out of the flesh. And perhaps there will be jewels and things of silver and gold that will stand that we were not even able to see in this life, but ministries that were wrought in the Spirit out of hearts that were humble and broken and poured out their lives in many, many ways. One of the ministries that no doubt falls in that category is the ministry of prayer. Probably one of the reasons that prayer is so difficult for us is because it doesn't naturally appeal to the flesh. I mean, it's not an ego-building thing. It's not something that everybody is going to praise. It's not something to get you good marks with anybody else. Nobody knows about it if you're effective. It's all a private thing of humility and pouring out my life, but yet it's, it's the thing out of which, in the end, God's work is really done. And I want to challenge us again as a congregation that whatever's going to last in Long Hill Chapel is, is what's going to be born out of the prayer life of our church. Dr. L.L. L. King was telling us this week of speaking to a church over in western Pennsylvania. And uh, the first night, as the pastor was making announcements, he made reference to a group in the church called the Goners. He said, well, that's a great name for a church group, the Goners. And uh, the next night, in a conversation with somebody, they mentioned that they belonged to the Goners. And he thought, well, that is a, that's got to be a strange thing, and it seems like a fairly good church. Why would they have a... And so the third night, uh, when the pastor was telling about something that happened, and he gave thanks to God for the Goners. So afterwards, he cornered the pastor. He said, who are the Goners? We said, the Goners are a group of elderly ladies in our church. They weren't elderly when they started this ministry, but they've been together a long time, and they are a prayer group. And they have given themselves to the quiet ministry of prayer. And the way they got their name is that if they put you on their prayer list, you are a Goner. And he said, our church is peopled with individuals who were untouchable spiritually. You know, guys that were reprobates, drunkards, vile men, and these ladies put them on the prayer list and they were goners. You know, those kinds of ministries are not heralded. But those are the ministries, and in the long pull, 
are what someday will be revealed to be the things of silver and gold and precious stones. And as you look around you and see the needs of people and the needs of our congregation as a whole, our need to grow as individuals, our need to be more Christ-like, our need to be settled in the Word, our need to be able to verbalize our faith, our need to move with direction and unity in the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. The answers to these are found on our knees. The killing of the giant is just like with David. It's not some new super weapon that we discover. It is diligently and confidently losing, using the ones that we already know. And I'm calling you tonight to the ministry of sowing. God calls us to be generous in our investments in God's people. He calls us to be patient and be willing to sow. And when we don't see fruit, as we saw in Habakkuk, Habakkuk said, even when there are no obvious fruits, I still praise God because the harvest is going to come someday. That's, that's the long look at God's work. And then the willingness to see God's work large enough that no matter how much it stretches us, I need to believe this is what he wants me to do. That kind of response is born out of the spirit-filled life, out of the inner dynamics of heart in which I allow God to crucify this old nature of mine, nail it to his cross, and daily allow him to be motivating me inwardly to respond to life circumstances and people from his perspective. That's a great challenge. But what is done that way is going to last. Let's pray. Lord, we don't want to be guilty of mocking you, of mouthing your religious phrases, of playing with spiritual ideas, and yet in, when it comes down to it, carelessly sowing, working, serving, and not caring whether it's out of the flesh or out of the spirit, and somehow thinking that it really won't matter in the end when it, it's going to. And inexorably, the day of judgment is coming, and all our works are going to be tried by fire, and only what's done towards you and out of your spirit is really going to last. Lord, I don't want us to uh, look over this congregation of people that I love and uh, in any way try to judge that because none of us know. But out of my heart I ask that you will be working among us so that our ministry together would be done, motivated by your Spirit, and whether we see it right away or not, will last and bring forth fruit to eternity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.